Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We all know preachers preach theology, but what about our theology on preaching? Should sitting under the preached word take priority over other forms of scriptural intake? Let's hear what Todd, Carl, and Amy have to say. Well, thanks for joining us today. And Carl and Amy, I've got a question that I think maybe some people wonder about periodically, which is, why do Reformed churches make such a big deal about preaching? Now, to set that in context a little bit, um, we all know and are familiar with and have, I'm sure, a great deal of appreciation for a lot of the non-denominational, or I'm sorry, let's say parachurch um, discipleship ministries that are out there. Um, some of them have done great work over the years. We're thankful for what they do. But oftentimes, my experience has been there can be some confusion then over the primacy of preaching. In other words, the emphasis on one-on-one discipleship or small group discipleship and Bible mm-hmm. study can sometimes be seen as being more effective or more practical mm-hmm. than the preached word. I know I heard that a lot growing up. You all may have heard that as well, you know, how often do we hear, oh, well, you know, we don't want just to preach a sermon at them. Or, you know, being with somebody where you can really talk about it is so much better than just hearing somebody preach a sermon at you. Well, we take exception with that. Um, and we hope that the rest of Reformed churches out there, whether they're Reformed Baptists or Presbyterians, would take exception to that sort of a dichotomy. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, why do we make such a big deal about preaching. What does preaching do? Why do we say that as good as one-on-one disciple-making is, as good as a, a good small group Bible study is, it's not the same as preaching? Why do we say those sorts of things? Well, I think that position is actually deeply embedded within the Reformation Protestant tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it manifests itself. For example, uh, in Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 89, the question is, how is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer of the catechism is the Spirit of God God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So it's especially the preaching. Mm -hmm. And I think if one were to look for biblical justification of that, obviously there are lots of examples in Scripture of, of preaching. Uh, A key text, for example, might be Nehemiah chapter Mm 8, when uh, uh, the people are gathered, Ezra the priest uh, reads the word, the law, to the people. And we're told uh, in verse 8 the following, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they, that's the men leading that day, gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Uh, Two things to notice about uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. It's a corporate gathering because this is the people of God. It's not being addressed to an individual. Mm-hmm. The word is being addressed to the people of God as a whole. And secondly, the word of God is, in a sense, not its own interpretation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The word of God needs to be explained to people and applied to people. And I would say what we have in the book of Nehemiah there, we find throughout Scripture, you find it in the book of Acts when Paul is proclaiming the word. But there is a, a corporate aspect to this because Christians are Christians as individuals, but 
we might say first and foremost, they're Christians as part of the church, they're right. part of a corporate body. And the pattern in Scripture seems to be God has revealed himself in the words of Scripture. And the way of pressing home uh, the truth that Scripture contains is in a corporate gathering through the, the, the reading and then the explication and mm-hmm. application, the giving of the sense right. of that Scripture to the people who are gathered. So I would say it's a biblical Mm -hmm. mandate Mm -hmm. that preaching should have priority not that there aren't examples in scripture of individuals engaging scripture individually with reading for themselves talking about it Mm -hmm. between themselves but if you take the church seriously if you take the corporate nature of christianity seriously if you take the bible's teaching about itself and how it is to be applied seriously you have to give primacy to the corporate preaching of god's word yeah so there's a number of really wonderful ways to receive the word of God for Bible intake. But there is something particularly special about mm-hmm. the preaching of God's word. You know, I just wonder what um, what the common view is about the preached word now. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you believe is happening right. when you are called to worship? I mean, mm-hmm. we're summoned by God yeah. as a covenant people, the, the body of Christ, to gather together and, and to hear the preached word um, what do we believe is happening there? And I think if, if you have a low view of the preached word, you know, you think, oh, you know, what couple things can I peck out of this that apply to my life right now personally? And if I don't get that, then, um, you know, I could get that better maybe in a conversation right. with a godly person or um, through some counseling. Yeah. Or, you know, that will really change my life. But do we believe, um, as the preacher to the Hebrews says, you know, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. is that what we believe? Is ha- it, right. It's an active word. Even with the preaching to the valley of dry bones, mm-hmm. it's not to, to one skeleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's I think to a whole a, valley. Exactly. And I think a lot of this has to do, or, or some of the departure from this has to do with the fact that we've applied modern educational theories so that we say, well, you know, I'm just not an auditory learner. I don't mm-hmm. learn in a lecture, and a sermon is a lecture, mm-hmm. so I needed a, a, you know, I need a discussion, or I, need, or I need visual. And what that does is it makes the audience sovereign rather mm-hmm. than God and his word. Right. We, we are saying that the preaching of the word is not just an educational technique that's useful for people of a certain learning style. We're saying that God is at work uniquely in the proclamation of his word. And as you've already alluded to, Amy, historically, this is what God has done. Historically, God has gathered his people together for the proclamation of his word. If you go back to Sinai, right. he gives the covenant, the written word to his people. Mm-hmm. And then what does Moses do throughout Deuteronomy? Mm-hmm. He's preaching and applying the covenant word, the, God's moral law to his people. That's been the historic pattern for how God has built up his people. Yeah, and I think part of the problem here, of course, is if you if you don't have a correct theology of preaching, if you don't know what preaching is theologically, you will get confused. If your primary model is that of information, that preaching is communicating information to people, you'll come a cropper on this point. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly it is the case that preaching is never less than information. You're preaching on the epistles, you're preaching on the narratives. Your sermons are going to contain information. Mm-hmm. But it's important to remember that preaching is not simply communication of information. If the purpose of 
reading the Bible, if the purpose of preaching was communicating information, then you're actually better off just reading commentaries. Mm -hmm. You go to church in order to hear the word preached. Why? Because God's speech is, in Scripture, the primary mode of his presence and his action. When the word is preached, God and I say this with all reverence, God is made present and Mm -hmm. God acts. When the word is proclaimed, things change. When the word is proclaimed to the congregation, consciences abound, consciences are freed, people are convicted of sin, people are brought into a state of grace. That's not the result of information, that's a result of God using that word by his spirit to Mm -hmm. act in people's lives in the congregation of the church. Reading a commentary doesn't do that. That's not the primary way of God acting. When the minister proclaims the word of God, to use the language of the Second Helvetic Confession, chapter 1, this from 1566, when the word of God is proclaimed by those legitimately called to proclaim Mm -hmm. the word of God, we believe it is the very word of God. It's analogous to God's speech at creation. Mm -hmm. It's analogous to God's speech in the new creation focused on Christ. Mm -hmm. When the minister preaches... God is made present and brought to bear on the lives of those who hear, whether it binds them and pushes them into condemnation or frees them and brings them into a state of grace. Yeah, And, and, and again, this is why we are saying that there's something uh, fundamentally, something essentially different about the proclamation of God's word uh, than... Sunday school? Two, yeah, then, yeah, Sunday school or two <laughs> Christians getting together to talk mm. about the Bible. All are good forms of Bible intake right. that are for our good, but that's why our confession, for instance, says especially the preaching of the word. Mm. And, and, and again, it's not because some men in the 16th century came up with that idea. It's because of some of the scriptures we've already mentioned here. This is the pattern and it's that still, we see. And it's still acting. Like I think a lot of times mm-hmm. people think, okay, I've just absorbed that for 30 minutes right. and now I leave. Yeah. But um, you know, you give a benediction mm-hmm. at the end there and you send out the congregation right. and God's word is still acting in you. And so I think that that's where you put... Um, the the rest of this one-on-one discipling or counseling Mm -hmm. in the proper context then it's received from the ministry Mm -hmm. and it's an outworking from the ministry of word and sacrament. And it's interesting, you know, one of the objections that we will hear frequently about the efficacy of preaching is, listen, you know, what I remember are the stories people have told me, what I remember are the, you know, the things I've seen, you know, I, I can't remember a single sermon though. And, and my, my response to that is typically, look, I took two years of Greek. I can't remember a single lecture, you know, from a Greek class. But after two years of Greek, I had a pretty good handle on Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we would say the same type of principle is going on, I think, what you just described, Amy, in the preaching of the word. An incremental transformation. Exactly. It's a means of grace. Incremental right. transformation, right. yeah. And it's why it's so important to um, put discipleship, uh, you know, in the context of under the ministry of word mm-hmm. and in the context of the church even yeah. because so often I'll see somebody saying I'm discipling such and such or you'll see this in women's ministries a lot there'll be these parachurch women's mm-hmm. ministries for discipleship right. and I think really what what church is this connected right. to what yeah. what's the covenant community here exactly. who are the elders and um, where's are you the preached word exactly. where, where does that fit into all this and I think this is precisely one of the reasons why so often Many of our brothers and sisters who are attached to some of these ministries don't have a category for the ordinary means of grace mm-hmm. and don't have an appreciation for, you know, when people talk to me about discipleship, it's it's almost always 
as a separate category from what happens on the Lord's Day, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be. No. The first way we act in discipling Christians is through what happens on the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. We value some of these other things. We value small groups. We value men getting together with men with the Bible open. That's Those are wonderful things, and I want those happening. But underneath the umbrella, as, as right. subsidiary to what happens mm-hmm. on the Lord's Day and the preaching of the Word and in the sacraments and in the prayers of the people. And isn't that great that God serves us? Like before we serve, right. we are served. Right. And that, that's God's gift to us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think there are, there are forces in the wider culture as well which press against preaching, not simply the, the dominance of the, the informational model mm-hmm. rather than the incremental transformation by the yeah. presence and action of God model. I think we live in a world where there is, there is a profound suspicion of, of hierarchies and elites, mm-hmm. and there's this feeling that, you know, why is it? What, what, what are we making this guy who stands at the front sort of super special on a Sunday? Yeah. What's he got that I haven't? There is a, there is a suspicion of an elitism there. One answer to that, of course, is, you know, if I go in to have my brain operated on, I want a pretty elite guy operating (laughs) on my brain. Uh, When I go to hear the word preached, I want a guy who's really competent at dividing the word of truth to preach to me. I don't want any Tom, Dick or Harry, or in some denominations, Tom, Dick or Harriet getting up in the pulpit and and dividing the word of truth to me. And the other side of it is this. I think that we're in a world where we are constantly being told how important we are as individuals and that how unique we are and how our problems are super special. And so the idea that my particular problems are so common and share so much in in common with other people in the congregation that I could find the answers to my problems through the general preaching of God's word, that's hard for me to swallow today because I'm special, I'm unique. My particular problem requires particular one-on-one time addressing my Mm. issue. Now, again, to be careful to qualify what I'm saying here, I'm not saying that there aren't those in the church who have gone through particularly traumatic events in their life or suffer from particular uh, medical complaints or issues that mean they do have somewhat unique issues that will require one-on-one counseling Mm. or one-on-one dressing. But I think the vast majority of us are common sinners, Specific problems are related to the general human condition of sin. And the solution, therefore, to the symptoms that we exhibit is not to deal with the specific symptoms, but to deal with the underlying cause, that we are sinners in rebellion against Mm -hmm. God. And the answer to that is a generalized one that comes from the general proclamation of God's word. But as I say, that's very countercultural because as soon as you say to somebody, you're not special, and actually, this general sermon does contain the answer for you. You're bumping up against human pride there. Right. No, I'm unique, and my particular problem requires you to spend two or three hours with me talking about my issues. Right. I wonder if people listen to the preaching of the Word more, if there would be actually less need for one-on-one counseling. Yeah, And I've found it interesting that as, as a kind of an extension of the church growth movement that really got going in the late 80s and early 90s is that one of the things we saw was the disappearing pulpit um, in churches and replaced by a stool, maybe a small cafe table. (laughs) And some of the justification for that was this idea of getting away from, you know, the the centrality of of the preacher and this kind of hierarchy and authority. And and let's make the the gathered experience more like a a dinnertime conversation or or a conversation over a cup of coffee. 
as though the preaching of the word, again, was just a, a method based on uh, primarily cultural circumstances. But it seems to me one of the things that's happened with the jettisoning of the pulpit and the replacing with a, a, a bar stool is that you actually end up promoting the personality of the pastor mm-hmm. more through that methodology. When a man is behind the pulpit, part of him is hidden, and for good reason. Um, part of him is standing behind that pulpit, and, and the presence of that pulpit is saying, the authority is here, but the authority is the text. The authority is the text of Scripture, not how warm and engaging the preacher is from the bar stool. That's such a good point. And, I mean, I just see that, too. And when you look in Scripture and you just read the pastoral epistles, mm-hmm. there is this, um, this prominence in, in what? One-on-one or yeah. the personalities of the pastor yeah. or... It's on God's household, but it's on the, pr- right. the preached word and, and shepherding God's household yeah. and managing God's household. Yeah. And I just love, um, you know, ending in, in Second Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. I mean, how serious is this? Mm-hmm. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Yeah. Preach the word. What was the inaugural act for the church at Pentecost? A sermon. Right. Um, you, you, you think about, uh, we, we mentioned earlier, um, uh, Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm-hmm. Again, as an answer to the, well, I just don't learn from sermons, or sermons aren't practical you know, anymore. Maybe at one point in, in history among Western Europeans, uh, it, it, it was effective, but it's not effective anymore. Well, you know, Ezekiel 37, as well as all the other passages we've talked about, puts the lie to that, because mm-hmm. what you have in Ezekiel 37 is what a valley of dry bones, and the imagery is so great, because, because there are these dry bones, it, it's though the writer wants to make sure that there's not a sign of life, there's no wet tissue or guts mm-hmm. spilled out, I mean, dry everything's bones. dry and dead, and what is the prophet called to do in that vision? He's called to prophesy to these bones, which we know uh, is is just another way of describing preaching. You mm-hmm. proclaim my word to these bones, and what mm-hmm. happens? Those bones are reassembled, and sinews come on, and life is breathed in. And before me was this mighty army. So that's why we preach, because God is doing something to breathe life into His people when the word of God is proclaimed. It has nothing to do with educational style or learning style. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with what God is doing when his word is proclaimed. Yeah, and I think this, without wanting to, to go too far down the line of saying the aesthetics of preaching are important mm-hmm. at this point, I do think that, that everything you said there, Todd, is correct, but that should manifest itself in the way we preach as well. Mm-hmm. I'm very struck by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he's mm-hmm. talking about the ministry of reconciliation, and he says, uh, verse 20 and following, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, Paul sees preaching as imploring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, he's telling Christians there to be reconciled, which yeah. goes to my earlier point about when the word is preached, something happens, even for Christians. Right. When the word is preached, Christians are being reconciled to God. Right. And that has to manifest itself in the manner of the preacher. Right. One of the things I say to young guys who, who get into the pulpit at my church to, to test their preaching gifts is, when you open your mouth, you need to send the signal straight away to everybody in the congregation that what they're about to hear, that's the most important thing they're going to hear that week. Mm-hmm. 
And there is a sense in which I can understand, you know, t- to go back and say another reason why why preaching is is discredited in some quarters today is due to that there's been an awful lot of bad preaching. Sure, some, absolutely. You know, churches, denominations are you know, many denominations have far more men in the pulpit than are actually called to pulpit right. ministry. Right. And if you are not, if you don't have that quality of imploring when you get up in a pulpit, I'm not surprised that people say they prefer one-on-one. Sure. So I don't want to blame all of our problems on the culture no. or on a failure to understand the theology of preaching. I also think there's an onus lies on the preachers here. When you get into your pulpit, you need to communicate in everything you say in that pulpit that what people are listening to there and then, that's the most important thing they're going to hear that yeah. week. Yeah. Paul implores. Yeah. He implores people because he has the ministry of reconciliation. Powerful words. And if you sound as if you're, you know, the content's great, but you sound as if you're reading the telephone book, yeah. then you don't belong in a pulpit. Right. I, I just finished preaching through the book of Acts, and there's this blessed redundancy through the uh, preaching of the apostles, and then especially when it gets to Paul, because over and over again, those are the kinds of words that are used to describe what he was doing at the synagogue and then before the Gentiles. He is pleading with them. He's appealing. He's convincing. Um, these are various words that are applied to how he was preaching, was this pleading with them uh, to be converted, uh, seeking to convince them. Over and over again, Luke uses those words to describe Paul's preaching. And that's, again, Paul did far more than just saying, hey, isn't this neat how Christ is fulfilled in this? Certainly that's what he was doing, but he went further than that to Mm -hmm. then, because Christ is here, then he would plead with them, convince them, appeal to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this really highlights, you know, just help. hopefully our listeners will sit back and think about the privilege that it is when we're being called by God to, to sit under the preached word, that we are indeed receivers and, and, and blessed receivers to be able to um, come together mm-hmm. as a covenant community and hear the preached word. So I thank you for listening. I encourage you to to get with your church this Sunday and um, stop by our website, mortificationofspin.org. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. If you want to hear more on today's topic, head over to mortificationofspin.org to listen to a message, The Regulative Principle of Preaching by Steve Lawson. What does the Bible lay out as the guidelines of preaching? Go listen and find out. And after you listen, come back next week to hear Todd and the crew recap the recent PCA General Assembly. Studying women's roles in the church along with ordination, uh, for Presbyterians, that's, that's red meat, and for good reason. 
because we, you know, those of us that know the history of Presbyterianism, our antenna go up at that point. Things were said like this. Literally, one brother got up and said, our wives will love us for this. If, if we do this study committee, our wives will love us for this. I, I was stunned at such a strange thing to say because I know one thing. My wife said, if you come back and that study committee hasn't passed, then, then I don't love you anymore. I mean, that was, a big, <laughs> that was a big deal in our house, I can tell you. Join us for that next time and head over to the Mortification of Spin blog to continue the conversation with Amy, Todd, and Carl. And don't forget to listen to The Regulative Principle of Preaching by Steve Lawson. We'll talk to you next time. Just wrap it up like Todd does really okay. well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just channel uh, <laughs>